If you could share one big idea to change the future of education, what would it be? In our One Big Idea series on Future of School, the podcast, we'll hear from a diverse array of education stakeholders, from parents and educators to longtime industry leaders who will share their bold proposals to transform teaching and learning in the United States. Together, we'll amplify one another's unique perspectives, consider new solutions, and above all, make sure every voice is included in the conversation. Welcome to another episode of the Future of School podcast miniseries, One Big Idea. Today, we're joined by Ray McNulty, former Vermont Commissioner of Education and current president of the Successful Practices Network and the National Dropout Prevention Center. Ray, it's a joy to have you here. Thank you. It's my pleasure, and I enjoy the work that you're doing and the challenges that you're putting out there for us all to take on and begin to massage and make make the essence of what education should all be about. So let's jump right in and we want to hear from you about your one big idea in education. Well my one big idea is really how um, how we use assessment and particularly standardized assessment to um, to measure schools, to measure teachers, to measure students. And and quite frankly, that's not what that that work does. It's not what it's about. And um, Particular, in particular, in my mind, I was working in a, a school district in Texas, and they were just completing their state assessments the week, they had completed it the week before. And I was talking to the principal about, I was coming in to do work with his teachers, and, he's, and I said, how'd testing go? And he looked at me and he said, it went pretty, w- pretty well this year. We only had nine students throw up on the last day of, of testing. And he and was I being serious? I'm serious. And I looked uh-huh. at him and I said, you only had nine. What's the, you know, and I, I said, kids get that upset and that sick. And he said, yeah, they do. He said the previous year, we've had many, many, many more. And it's not unusual to have students. Mm. Can you just imagine talking about a place where kids go to learn and to, and to become the, the gifts of the future in our society. And there is a, a process we put them through where, you know, they're so nervous because they're being judged on a particular day on a, on a particular set of content that will be a score that will go with them, you know, forever. It's going to be a score that makes people look at a school and say, well, that's a good school or not a good school. And, you know, those are, those are measures that just don't make any sense to me as an educator. It doesn't make any sense to me as a parent. I don't, I don't find parents that come running up and saying, you know, I want my child, you know, to be an incredibly good test taker. I, I think I, I hear parents talk about, I want my child to be, to have a strong character, to be thoughtful and kind and bright. And not, not to me, I want my child to be X. You know, when, you, when I see parents talking about their children dating other children, they don't ask, uh, you know, what is, you know, the son comes home and says, what is Amy's standing in class? Is she, hmm. <laughs> they don't ask that. They ask about the character and they ask about all these other things. And, you know, we've made assessment um, an incredibly dangerous thing, I think, to learning in our, with our kids. It, when I think about failure and the importance of failure in learning, um, it's failure now in schools is a fear. 
And we, we, I, I see teachers saying to students, go ahead, try it, you know, give it your best shot. And, um, and they're petrified because they're afraid of failing. Yeah, no, all of this makes, makes sense. And this is where we are today, right? And I put my former Spanish teacher hat on and you want to talk about a content area where you have to, I mean, in order to effectively teach the language, you have to teach children that it's okay if they say something wrong. It's okay if they conjugate a verb and it's not right. And that there's lots of different ways to assess learning. I mean, world languages is a great, it's a great place for that. So yeah. What kind of measures do you think could replace standardized testing? How can we measure growth? Student yeah, I, well, I, I think the word you're using growth is really important because it, it is what the future of learning and assessment should be about. It should really be about um, reaching all of our learners and, and about continuous growth. It's not, what we do in education right now is we have this sense of that there's something called average out there and everybody gets judged against average, you know? And I'm not sure if you're familiar, but there's a really great book. Uh, I think it's Todd Rose at Harvard that wrote it. It's called The End of Average. Yep. That, that there actually is no average. Actually, there is a data point in the middle with no, with nobody is, right? And they say, that's average. It's the, you know, it's the average. <laughs> and and um, he has lots of great, you know, stories about average, like the Air Force started to build these, um, the seats for their pilots. And um, they, what they did is they measured all the pilots and they said, this is the average size pilot. And they built the, the seat. And then none of the, and they started to get in the planes and they didn't fit any of the pilots. And, and they had a difficult time flying the planes because the seats were, they were either too close or too far away from things. It's like, yeah. oh, that's the average. There, you know, the, the, the point is, Amy, let's, let's you know, you, you have a child or, or it's you. And what you want to do is you want to be that little engine that could. You want continuous growth. You want continuous movement, continuous progress. We look at the research on, on um, like that, I'm going to tell you that, Alcoholics Anonymous, and and uh, not that that's a, an organization we should be throwing in the conversation, but it's a, an organization that makes everybody say day by day, day mm. by day we get better. Um, Weight Watchers, day by day, mm. it, it's it's you just you 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 keep on trucking, you keep moving. You may have a day where you don't do as well, and the next day you do better. Um, I see so many students that because they um, they fail at things in the school. What I see them doing is saying, um, I'm not a good learner. Yeah. They, they say that because they're comparing themselves to everybody else. Yet those students know many, many, many wonderful things. I've seen inner city kids that could navigate the city's transit system, can find how, how to get places and can tell you where the best deals are. They are constantly learning all day long how to be survivors in the city. That is an accomplishment. That's them showing how good they are at learning. Yet in a school, it's measured against other people. We are at a point in education where I think we have to have a broad adoption of growth as, as, as the way to measure learning. We are positioned with technology now that, that can, that it's emerged where it can take a student and it could, it could slowly look at slow progression look at watch a student watch a child playing on a video game and they're constantly being challenged inch by inch 
to get better. They go into an, they go into a game and the game adjusts things based on the student's ability and it moves it a little bit. And what happens is it knows, and, and I'm not, it knows, but the technology incrementally moves the needle a little bit at a time, continually going on and the students grow, there's growth there. And we have to design a system that isn't a one day assessment or a one week assessment that's gonna measure schools and teachers. We should be putting, we invest way too much money on that. And I, and, I, and I blame at times legislators who basically they do invest a lot of money in education and they want to, they want to know, well, are we getting our money's worth? Well, not on assessment, you're not. All you're doing is getting schools to say, okay, we've got to do this. We've got to stop what we're doing and we've got to do this work that is required as far as state assessment is concerned. It's a, it's a real, um, I think it's off-putting to educators. It doesn't fit with what we know about learning. And one of the things we do know, and, and I love how at times we like to look at other countries, a lot of countries have abandoned the kind of assessment that we do in our public schools in this country. They've abandoned it because it's not working and it hasn't worked. Um, the, the founders of standardization, the people that developed the Iowa test of basic skills of which I think almost every child that's an adult now when they were in school, or in mm-hmm. school they took it, they would say, it's not a good measure of a student's ability. We, sh- we should be collecting things, you know, we should be collecting things in uh, growth, uh, in, a, in a growth mindset of these students. We should be looking at, you know, we should be looking at things like their artistic ability, their executive abilities, their cognitive process. Uh, right. We should be engaging with kids to find out what are they thinking. We sh- you know, and we should never push aside teacher observations of, these lear- of this learning. Teacher observations of this learning uh, classroom assessments are pushed aside for the, all of a sudden this standardized test comes in. We shouldn't. We should be creating a different profile. Actually, in the in the Learning 2025 report that AASA just recently issued, and I was I was a facilitator on that work. They basically have said we have to redefine proficiency. We have to move to a growth model. Um, we have to have a growth perspective, and there is enough. You know, we must build this transition and have multiple measures, not this one state assessment. Such important perspective that you're sharing. And uh, if not now, when, right? The pandemic has given us the opportunity. It's it's given us a clean slate, so to speak. Yes. We've seen the policy levers flipped on and off. We hear that, you know, we hear stories of parents who now more have a more uh, intimate view and how their children learn and what sparks their interest. So we're primed for this work. We are absolutely positioned well right now. I mean, I, I'm, um, I quite frankly, I listen now uh, to people talk about, oh, our children have fallen behind because of the pandemic and we've got to put them in summer school. We've got to, first of all, the pandemic was not their responsibility. They did not call this. Number two, I'm not sure they fell behind. Our, our children were given some time to be with parents, to be at home, to have conversations with adults. They, education was different during the pandemic. Let's ask them, what did they learn? Let's, right. ask, let's ask them things about, you know, maybe, they, maybe they, they, um, they had to work quietly while they watched their mother work because she was doing her job at home and having a conversation about that. You know, they, it, it gave them a very different perspective of moms and dads and or whether they're single moms, 
whatever's going on, it gave them a, a different perspective of this world. And I think we should, we should welcome our students back in and we should say, what did you learn during the pandemic? You know, what did you do? What were the things that were the keen observations that you made? Because that's something very different from what they've ever experienced before. Absolutely. I am with you 150%. And I don't even say the LL word phrase, I'll say, the learning loss phrase. I used it today just for our, our listeners to hear that. I don't use that because like you, I imagine kids in kitchens learning how to cook recipes, using TikTok, using their technology to do it. They're learning tactically. They had the opportunity and still do to learn lots of different tangible skills and yeah. also that perseverance and grit and learning how to be a remote learner. Yeah. I would love for each kid, like you said, put together a mini portfolio of what you learned in 2020 and 2021. Absolutely. Tell us your story. You know, one of the other things is that we do have to ask our students about, you know, to, to share their story. Who are they? What do they do? Um, you know, when we look at, we, we're, we use this idea of standardized assessment and we tie it to a a bunch of curriculum, and I understand it. I'm not suggesting that there is absolutely no place for assessment, but it, when it becomes the weight where it, it is such a heavy burden on our schools, on our teachers, and on our students, where they fear it. They fear it to the point that they get sick. And by the way, we know from a lot of research that our students, you know, you can talk to students now, you can talk to parents and you say, were you really good at taking tests? Parents will say, I was a terrible test taker. And they're very successful today. The, yeah. You know, the, the issue, the quite, quite frankly, um, this whole concept of valedictorians, these are people that are really good at content and, they, and they're able to, you know, regurgitate back to educators, regurgitate back on a test um, what they know. But guess what? Um, they are not the people that rule the world. When I talk to people like, Todd Rose, who wrote this book on the end of average and is a full professor at Harvard now, you know, he dropped out of high school. He went and got his GED, hmm. right? Now he's a professor at Harvard. But, you know, um, it's, there are the success, when we look, when we talk about success outside of school, it's not judged by test scores. It's judged by what you can do. I mean, there are all those kinds of things that we need to be thinking about. You know, it's, it's a, um, what is, what is success like outside of school? Because success in school kind of equates to somebody who's good at tests and can give educators back what they want. What I hear now, what I hear from the workforce outside is we want, we want people that are not just problem solvers, but are people who could see problems coming before they are problems. Because business is saying now, I don't want a problem solver because we have a problem. I want people that can see problems mm. before they become problems. I hear people saying, I need, we need people to be very deep thinkers about issues, not, not basic application of skills. We want, we want people to understand, what do you do when you don't know what to do? Where do you look for information that no one else has? You know, how do you build a network of people to gain success. As a matter of fact, when we talk about, which is really interesting, when we talk about average and people, when um, I was just reading an article today uh, in the Harvard Business Review about when you build a team, you don't want a team of like-minded thinkers. You know, mm -hmm. you want people that think in different 
different ways and different and have different a different sense. And so, you know, average is just average. We we want to develop the uniqueness. And the world is really now more about the personalization of society, not the industrialization of society. So you think about that. Schools were about the industrialization of society. People went to work, they all did the same thing, they marched to the same tune. That's what our system was like. Now it's more about the personalization of society. It's about the different kinds of thinking that we do. I mean, I marvel when I sit around a table with marketing people and people that are artistic and I say, we've got to have a new logo for this. And I'm thinking, you know, I think in sticks, right? The sticks mm. here. <laughs> and they're going like, look at this, we can create this and this. Where did that idea come from? It came from the, someplace in their mind that, put, that connected things that I could not see. And that's, that's the richness of um, the power of being personal, having a personal talent and skill. And I, you know, I look at that and I say, you know, that's what I love. You know, um, all of us, I mean, all of us know, and we can, we can think of our days in school and those big tests when they came, uh, when, or whether you were in college and you were doing finals, it was like, you, it wasn't a loving, happy experience. Hmm. You, you know, and, and we know from the research and happiness that, you know, our brain is better, operates better. And is when it's more relaxed, it's calm and it's happy. Yeah. That's when we get our best thinking done. Not when the fear of the proctor is staring at you. You have exactly 35 minutes to do this. You know, yeah. I, I just think, I just think we have to value the personalization of learning. We have to value the growth of each child from when they arrived in our world on a daily basis and schools need to need to be able to look at um, you know I want to say a broad adoption of of growth as the way we judge learning for our students. So well said and we are so lucky to have you leading this work Ray. Thank you for being here today and I look forward to hearing the discourse that happens from people who are listening to the show and are inspired by the great questions you've asked today and your one big idea. Thank you for listening to Future of School, the podcast. What's your one big idea to transform education? Connect with us on social media or on our website, www.futureof.school to share. And if you're one of our listeners enjoying the podcast on Apple, we hope you'll consider leaving a five-star review to help more people find the show. 